Good morning, uh, Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. Uh, I feel like uh, at home here. Thank you for uh, always, always your kindness, your prayers, your support, your encouragement. And uh, this church uh, plays an important role in our ministry, and that is one of shepherding. I thank uh, Pastor Mark and the elders for um, their eye they keep on me, checking, having uh, Zoom calls as often as possible to encourage me and my family and our church just to make sure that, that we are uh, doing well and pressing on there in Colombia. So I invite you uh, to open your Bibles today, please, in Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 8. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read for all of us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the earth, of the thresholds shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom should I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Fire, we are here this morning before your presence as always. No one of us can hide from your presence, even from your holiness. We are before your holy word and I'm unworthy to, to preach this text and in so many ways all of us are unworthy to hear your word today. But I pray that your grace, your love and even that holiness may prevail and may open our hearts, our minds to, to understand and to apply this Scripture in our, in our lives, in our daily living, and as church. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. This is a very well-known text of Scripture. I'm sure uh, many of us, if not all of us, have heard this text at one point. And, um, and as I was thinking a, a text uh, to preach today and to encourage you on missions, this came to my heart 
And, and I knew again that it's a very popular or common text. Even Danny mentioned that maybe you have studied this uh, a few weeks ago, maybe months ago. And um, I didn't ask Pastor Mark if you guys had heard a message uh, on this text in the, in the previous months. Uh, I assume maybe you had. But I want to preach this text today because it's very, very, a very, very necessary concept. The holiness of God. To understand who God is, not only as church, but also as individuals. Today, we live in a generation and in a time in which God is presented and preached as a cool daddy. As a God who can be controlled from here, from heaven, through our prayers, through our wishes, through our thinking, through confessing what we want. He's preached as a kind of Godfather who has to put with us, accept us the way we are and the way we want to be simply because he is God and he has to be good and he has to be gracious. And we are so used to his grace and to his compassion and his love that we take that for granted. Today, God is preached as a passive God who, has, who doesn't get involved with us, with the humanity, who doesn't care, who will not bring us to judgment. We are the owners of our destiny. And we see that taught in the universities, in society, in our culture today. God is one who has to make us happy, who has to bless us, who has to provide for us, who is like a genie in a bottle, there to serve us. And if he doesn't serve us, wow, God is really bad. God also nowadays is preached and taught in a very intellectual way. A God with whom in some way I have to connect with my mind, with acquired knowledge of him, maybe with going through some motions so that I tell others that I know him, but a God who really doesn't dwell in our hearts because we haven't really understand his essence. And, and, and speaking and writing about this sad situation and, uh, that the church is living today, Dave, uh, Dave Wells wrote the following. He has written uh, multiple books about the situation of, of the evangelical church and uh, in, a, in a book titled The Bleeding of the Evangelical Church, he describes three characteristics. Actually, he just wrote, wrote that book, I think, in March 2021. He has written a number of books, but this is a new book. And in that book, he, he reflects on why the evangelical church has lost its effectiveness, its power. It's not a, a, the, the light that should be. It's not anymore the salt. The church is dying, he reckons. And he said that three things are, are characterizing, or three, the church has three characteristics. The first one that is that the church has adapted to its, custom, to its customers. 
The church designs, designs products and services to attract consumers and meet their needs. So we have activities, ministries, courses, events, seminary, seminaries, all kinds of activities. Pizza night, sports, because that feeds the needs of its customers. Developing products so that the, the church tries to engage with the people and seek a commitment, but a commitment that is born out of providing satisfaction to its customers or to her customers, the church. However, all those activities, all those programs really cannot confront and don't confront the church with the scriptures and with their own sin. Second, he says, uh, Dave Wells, that the church has valued success more than biblical theology. Sin is not confronted anymore. Pastors do not preach with authority any longer. They do not address sin issues. Neither they unveil the glory and character of God on a regular basis. The truth is compromised because it can hurt people. Because it can take away those customers. So theology is not taught anymore in most churches. So people seek churches because of the music, because of the programs, because it feels good to be there, and not because of the theology that the church preaches. Third, he says the church has, learned, has leaned more towards the cult of the ego of its leaders than towards the glory of Christ. And we are seeing that more and more, even in our circles. And we may say, no, no, we, we, don't, we don't like Benny Hinn, we don't like these big guys, it's not about that. But somehow, we as church are being deceived. And we think that a church that has a charismatic leader, one that has more like a, a personality of, of fun and friendliness and more cool, that is, is more enjoyable to be there. And somehow you connect with God better there than in a church where God and the scriptures are proclaimed. Theological, theological convictions are not the guiding criteria for us to, to find a church. And these, these trends are fostering a church without the Bible as the foundation for its growth and fruitfulness, maturity. And a church without the God of the Bible is a church that designs and redesigns itself to please the culture and honor its leaders and not God. Society is creating its own God. And somehow, churches are designing their own God according to their own theology, according to their own understanding, so that they can satisfy their customers, so that they can have success, and so that they can feel the ego of the leaders. Because more people, more noise, more action, Wow, guys, really flowing here. But sadly, that is taking away God, the power of the gospel from the churches. I read 
this, this quote, and I think it's very interesting. It says, God, when he created us, he created us in his image and likeness. Now, man believes he's returning God's favor and created a God in his image. That is our image and likeness. God set a model, an example, a pattern for us. But now we are designing our own model, pattern of God. And that is what we see today in the church. Bruce Gerenser, commenting on the poor and pitiful situation of the church, said the following. He said, for those <clears throat> on the outside, that is the people of the world, looking in, that is looking into the church, there is no good news coming from the church. They, that is the church, has or they have no interest in joining what to them, that is to the world, appears and often is a cult of arrogant and begotten people. You know, a cult to all pastors, all leaders. And begotten people who want to silence women, ignore the climate, pretend like racism doesn't exist, and damn everyone to hell who doesn't agree with them. There is nothing good about that news, he says. That is why evangelicalism isn't dying. It is already dead. And that is the assessment of the world about the church of the church today. By the way, Bruce Gerenzen, he's 65 years old. I read who he is. He's a 65-year man who lives in rural northern Northwest, uh, Northwest Ohio, with his wife of 44 years, very faithful man. He and his wife have six grown children and 13 godchildren. Bruce, pastor, evangelical churches for 25 years in Ohio, Texas, and Michigan. Bruce left the ministry in 2005, and in 2008, he left Christianity. Bruce is now a humanist and an atheist. He is an atheist. How sad the condition of the church. And I really believe that the dramatic and poor condition to which Christianity has reached this point is due to the fact that those who call themselves Christians ignore or have decided to abound uh, to, to understand the notion that at the very center, the very foundation, that the totality of the gospel is based on the, based on the essence of God and the essence of his holiness. Again, the church is more concerned with programs, properties, activities, even the leadership of a church, rather than understanding the scriptures and the God of scriptures. We neglect to remember and repeat the notion of that all the scriptures, all the texts of the Bible are surrounded by holiness from the very, very fall of man. Man fell because what? They neglected the holiness of God and they did not appreciate that God who was what? Holy and had to be honored as such. 
In Exodus 3, even Moses couldn't approach God at the place where he was at because he was holy. The, 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 the priests in the Old Testament were known as holy priests. Jerusalem is the holy city. The temple is known as the holy temple. The, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the temple, there was a place was, 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 which, was, was, which was called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. God is referred throughout the Old Testament as the Holy of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. We know this as the Holy Bible. Is that right? The Holy Bible. The third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit. Even demons recognize the holiness of God and the second person of the Trinity incarnated in Jesus when, when in, in Mark 1-24 we read, what have you do to, with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. <clears throat> so if we neglect, which I really believe we have neglected, the concept, the notion, the most fundamental essence of God, His holiness. We lose everything about Christianity. The most used adjective in the whole in the Old Testament about God is holy. More than his mercy, more than his grace, more than any other, his love is holy, 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 holy. I don't think there is a page in the Bible in which somehow the holiness of God comes and flows. Holiness begins with God. It's the very essence of God. We, don't, we cannot say that we don't know, that we know God if we don't know his holiness. We, we cannot say that we have come close to God if we, we, don't, we don't realize that we have come close to His holiness. And the church today has lost this vital, critical, crucial notion, which is fundamental to the health and life of each one of us as individuals and as church. Psalm 50, 21, we could read it all. But just to read one verse, verse 21 says, these things, and maybe some of you know the context of Psalm 50, where God really gets serious with the people of Israel and says, you guys, who do you think I am? You sacrifice, you seek me, you give me, but your heart is away from you because they haven't understood. They didn't understand His holiness. And He, said, he says in Psalm 50, 50 21, these things you have done, and I have been silent. It's what I was just telling you. It's like God is not there. God doesn't care. He doesn't see me. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Judgment is coming. And maybe we are experiencing that judgment in the church and us as society. And we have understood that the very heart of us as Christians and as church holiness needs to be brought up to a full understanding. Even Peter, 
Later on, we will see how sinful he realized he was. But Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 19. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We sometimes have our minds filled with knowledge of God. But that knowledge needs to be activated in action, in sober thinking, in practical Christian living. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions, passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. It doesn't say here in all your understanding, in your theology, in your going to church, in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It doesn't say you should, be, you should be Christian because I'm Christian. You should be good because I'm good. You should love others because I love Yes, those things are there. But we should be holy because he's holy. And if you call on him as father who judges, he's not just a cool daddy. Oh, pray to cool daddy. In Colombia, it's very common to hear people, oh, I'm the favorite son of, of God. He just lost me. But he is the father who judges impartially. What does impartially mean? Everyone, all of us. According to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout our time, without the, the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed for the future, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We have been purchased. Not to, to live our lives according to what we want, but to a holy conduct. To understanding, maybe of not so many aspects of theology. Yes, all those aspects are important. But to the essence of God, which is his holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So that's why I want to preach this today because it's a reminder for us, for all of us, as church, as individuals, and yes, for myself, that we need to understand this godliness, this holiness, if we want to reach out to the world, if we want to be effective as individuals as, and as a church. We need to realize, and I'm, this is my, my proposition, Isaiah 6, 1, 6, 1 to 8, teaches us three aspects about the holiness of God that you ought to understand in order to become an effective witness of the gospel of Christ to the nations. Number one, the holiness and his sovereignty in your life. God as you understand the holiness and you pursue his holiness, you will be able to understand his sovereignty in your life. Number two, 
the holiness of God and your sin. The only way, the only way for you to understand and to know and to acknowledge your sin is when you compare yourself to his holiness. Third, the holiness of God and the grace and the power of the gospel. When we understand and experience his, his holiness in a true way, we will be then able to understand his grace and the power of the gospel. So let's start with the first point, the holiness and his sovereignty in your life. Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year of the death of King Uzziah, Uzziah? Uzziah, thank you, an American there. Uzziah, Uzziah. Who is Uzziah and why it was such a big deal that he died? It must be very important that he died for Isaiah to write that down. Is that right? Uzziah, Uzziah? Uzziah was an, an incredible man as a king in the history of Israel. In 2 Chronicles 26, 1 to 15, a few things that, that we can learn from him is that he came to, or he became king when he was 16 years old. He built a lot and restored it to Judah. He reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. He, he says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It says that he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jamne and the wall of Ashdod. He built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philippines. The Ammonites paid tribute to Siam. His fame spread, spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. He built towers in Jerusalem. He built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns. It says, verse 11, Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit to war for war in divisions. The whole number of the heads of fathers, of fathers' houses of mighty men of, of valor, valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 soldiers. With mighty power, in Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelous help till he was strong. Imagine Israel under this powerful king, Uzziah. And today, we live in a society with a lot of power. Is that right? Maybe like no society ever. And we have become so used to so many privileges, even as a church. You guys come here, and there is a sermon. You guys go online, and there is a sermon. You guys feel sad, you go to the movies, you call a friend, and maybe find counseling. We live in a world that has it all. But we are also living very difficult times. Because it seems to us, I would say, that the kings of this world are also losing their power. In the next section of, of, of uh, Second Chronicles 26, it says what happened. He died. And I want to see, I want to tell you why. Uzziah, in the midst 
of all this property, achievements, greatness, he somehow fell from grace, ended up in ruin and abandoned by all the people. He says that he, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, to his ruin. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Just like Nadab and Abihu, Abihu in Le Leviticus 10. He dealt with that which is holy in an unholy manner. And maybe that's what is doing the church today. Maybe that's what we as believers are doing today. We are coming to a holy God in an unholy manner. Then he got leper. He became leprous. And he was taken away. That was a time of turmoil, of crisis, of difficulty. A very, very difficult time. And God wasn't happy with Uzziah because he wasn't, he treated things that were holy as unholy. He did things his own way. And that's what church is, the church is doing today. And even that is what we as individuals are doing. Don't tell me what to do. I know what to do. And this man, Isaiah, who was, some people say, 60 years in ministry, he served during four kings, he was a diplomat, an advisor, an statesman, also a prophet. But what did he do? He goes to the temple. He goes to seek the presence of God. His holiness answered from him. Oftentimes, when we don't find what we want in a church, we go to a more charismatic church, a more friendly church, where there are more young people, where we can have more activities, more programs. But Isaiah went to God himself. And then he says, I saw the Lord seated on, the, on a throne, high and lifted up. I saw the Lord. It was a vision. And then he says, that he, saw, he saw the Lord. This Lord is Adonai, the King, the Almighty, the Living God, the King who reigns the sovereign. He chooses the word Adonai, Isaiah, to highlight the dominion of the Lord. God, his power. Uzziah, the powerful king, wasn't there anymore. There wasn't any hope. But he knew, Isaiah, who ultimately had all power, who was the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. And that is something that we need to realize and remember today. Sometimes we get into depression. Sometimes we get sad. Sometimes we criticize, we complain, because we don't understand that he's sovereign. He's in charge of this world. He has all power. Then Daniel 4, 4, uh, 34 to 35, Nebuchadnezzar speaking, he said that this, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lift up, Lift my eyes to heaven and my reason return to me. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth 
are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the house of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can, can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? As we understand the holiness of God, we understand his sovereignty. And if we want to understand his sovereignty, we need to understand that he is a holy God. And today, we are very fortunate and very privileged. Because Isaiah saw the Lord. But the Bible says that no one has ever seen God. But this was a manifestation, a theophany. God in his grace, just giving Isaiah a moment of his glory. But you know what? Today, we have Jesus Christ. He opened the veil so we may come to the Holy of Holies, to his own very presence. The word became flesh. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, son whom he appointed, the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of, his, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, have, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We have the privilege, the honor of having a relationship with Christ, with that God, through our knowledge, through our obedience, through his grace, through his death and resurrection. As times are difficult, as you are struggling with your own sin, your own discouragement, there is no any other place as safe as his holiness, as his presence. And we have that privilege. And then it says that the hem of his garment filled the temple. Notice that it's just a description of his clothing and not, and not of his person. Can you imagine that glory? That glory of God? That holiness, how huge must be if just the hem, you know, does all that in Isaiah's understanding, wow! And it all fills the temple. Just imagine his person. And that was the temple where the presence of God dwelled, where the atonement of sins took place, the sacrifices. It was the holy place. Just think of his majesty, his greatness. And then verse 2 says that about, about him is to the seraphim, that is above God, about that presence, about that holiness. It's to the seraphim, each had six, week, six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two, his, with two he flew. Seraphim, I think you guys know, um, means uh, those who burn, the burning ones. God is consuming fire. They have faces, eyes, feet, maybe the body, hands, which seem to be like the wings, and voices. And with those wings, maybe hands, 
they cover themselves. I thought about the hummingbird. Birds, they 80 times a second, they move their wings. And maybe those angels, those seraphims, move this fast, covering themselves from the very presence of God, from his holiness. And can you imagine that through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, today we can experience, or we should experience, that presence, that holiness in our lives? As created beings, if they were to behold the holy God, they would die. They would die. They are called to protect his holiness. And how do they protect and 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 and, and how do they protect that holiness? He says that um, in, in verse uh, six. So it says, um, and call one another, verse 3 uh, says, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they protect the holiness by what? By proclaiming, by declaring, by affirming his holiness. He's holy, holy, holy. Revelation 4 talks about about one day in eternity we will be and the angels all the earth and every being will be proclaiming the holiness of God and the holiness of he who is to come Jesus Christ and today as church again we are more concerned about the programs about the activities about the resources about what sometimes is said or how it is said oh he said this things this way and he didn't say this way or an appealing attractive church rather than understanding and leaning and seeking the proclamation of the holiness of God and we see it in Christianity they are more concerned about political issues than about the church and each individual understanding the holiness of God, to do, to declare it, to protect it, to uplift it. The understanding of his holiness should lead us to proclaim the holiness, yet not just to have a head knowledge of the holiness. How sad that is. We gain and gain and gain knowledge and yes, the, the word holiness in Hebrew is kadosh. Oh yes, kadosh, and this means that and this. But are we, that, are we living that out? Are we proclaiming it? His holiness. His holiness. His holiness. The church should be all about His holiness. Declaring that there is none like him. He should be our priority. But we are more concerned about so many things of the world, including Ricardo Morales. All of us. And we forget the very, very essence of God. The very, very essence of Christ which was even confessed by the demons. 
He's the Holy One. And we need to strive for that. Now, what is holiness? I just said it, the word kadosh. That means that he's separate, that he's consecrated, pure, total, absolutely unique, perfect. Now, one thing which is very, very um, important about this, and I'm reading this, he says about the proclamation of God's holiness, it is also important to note that in this proclamation, the cognitive, cognitive and rational element are necessary, providing a further indication that revelation does not come simply through the pure experience, mysticism, ecstatic experiences, or mere knowledge, simple knowledge, but also through divine cognitive interpretation of scriptures and by experiencing that. The, these seraphims were not just, oh, they were going well and they fell and they were jumped. No, they, in a very articulated manner, they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Sometimes we are going to churches, even in our own circles, feeling well after a message. Oh, that was really good. But were you able to process that with your reason? Understanding what, really, what it really means for your own life? To know that Christ that is pure, who has all power, who is sovereign, and he is the sovereign God. And what does it mean to be sovereign? He's Lord. He's Lord. Sure, over all things in the universe and in life and who, which king dies and which king is judged, but also he today here should be your Lord and Savior. He's the sovereign one of your life. Are we living our Christian lives under the Lordship of, of Christ? Is he your sovereign? Can you just... The world is falling down. But I am right there in the temple of God, beholding his holiness. I will not be moved. What a peace, what a joy. And that is your call to proclaim his sovereignty, his lordship, his leading in your life, his work, what he has done in your life. Second, let's look at verses four to five. The holiness of God and your sin. Isaiah 4, 5 says, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. God's presence is awesome. No man can stand it. Even the earth shakes. Smoke, some theologians and commentaries I studied, refer to the, to the notion that even that smoke somehow, just as, as, the, as the seraphims are protecting themselves from that presence, this smoke might be like a kind of veil that is protecting us from, from his holy presence. Exodus 19.18 says, Now Mount Sinai 
was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. This, the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a clean, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Imagine, if the very earth shook, how much we should tremble. At the holiness of God. At the very, very, very basic notion of God. A holy God. How different that is from the churches we see today. And then, that's what I'm saying. And then we are expecting to reach the world for Christ. When we even haven't understood the most basic notion of God. His holiness. And so many churches, yeah, and smoke and lights coming and blah, blah. Here is Elisa, but that's good. <laughs> but you know, the emphasis has, has been changed. And people say, the people leave the church like, oh, so excited. So oh, it was awesome, awesome. I think if we were really to know God, wow, we would be trembling right now. And then Isaiah 5, 5 6, 5 reflects that I'm saying. He said, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And notice how Isaiah himself, and we were reading the curses this morning in Deuteronomy 27, he curses himself. That woe of me is curse me. Ruin me. Destroy me. Why? Because he has seen just a glimpse of God's holiness. And, and, and in Isaiah 5, 8, 11, 5, 11, 5, 18, 5, 20, 5, 21, there, is a, there are multiple curses. I won't go through them because of time. But you can read them. And he takes that place. And he makes himself as those who are drunk, as those who are in falsehood, as, as, as those who do evil. He takes that place, Isaiah. And he says, I'm cursed, just like them. And I think we should reflect on our own personal life and condition today. And every day, this, this is, I, we should preach this message every single day. That's why I didn't ask Pastor Mark if we, you hadn't heard some time ago. And, and he, in light of this holiness, he realizes that he is a sinful man. For Isaiah, as a Hebrew, this holiness, because that's also a mistake we make when we define the word holiness, this, this concept of holiness meant that the terrifying holiness of God is not only in essence, listen, because some people, oh, God is holy. Yes, that is his essence. But listen, this is very important. Holiness is also his character. His character. Here was one ethically pure, absolutely right, completely true. The holiness of God is not just 
some awesome thought about his distinction and as, about his uniqueness as being. But also, he's a God who is ethically pure, perfect. And everyone who wants to stand before the holiness has to pursue and understand that purity, ethically speaking. I think if we were to understand this concept, we wouldn't need any more counseling. Bye-bye <laughs> counseling measures. Because we would be confessing our sin every single day. Woe of me, woe of me, woe of me. Because I, you, and me, being humans, being sinners, have understood the grace of God, things to which angels wish they could see, understand, and even experience. In the presence of God, he sees himself, his sin. He doesn't start saying, the pastor. Ah, oh, the pastor there, the pastor that. He says, he does, he doesn't do. No, he sees his own sin. Because he is beholding God. Hebrews 12 gives us a reminder, reminder of that. Keeping an, our eyes, focus our, eye, our own eyes in Jesus Christ, the author of our salvation. Let's fight sin. God is holy. Even Luke it's in Luke 5.8 says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Peter had been for a long time with Jesus. But it was when we understood this glorified Christ, the Son of God. He understood that he was what? Filthy. He didn't say, Oh, now I can, how I can serve you? What, now, now how can I uh, advance the kingdom? No. He realizes his sin. Exodus 15, 11 to 14 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. Imagine. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You, you, you have been redeemed. You have guided them by, by your strength to your holy abode. The people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the, the inhabitants of Philistine. Any attempt to serve God, to seek him apart from his holiness is idolatry. Are you fighting sin? Are you more busy, maybe with intellectual knowledge? academics, accomplishments, rather than really beholding the very essence of God, which is His holiness. Third, the holiness of God and the grace and the power of the gospel. Isaiah 6, 6 to 8 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This seraphim touches his lips some, 
Some commentators say that because his ministry was that of the proclamation of the word, but also in Luke 6.45 says that everything that we say comes from a what? Our heart. So I would say it's both. Where we, if we want to really have an effective ministry to reach out the nations, for us to have an impact in San Jose, with your family, with your relatives. Somehow, we need to start working on that understanding of the holiness of God. You, you have read it in, even in Revelation 4. Just imagine, like it seems like all eternity will be holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Why don't we start doing that right now? Realizing his holiness, his holiness, his holiness, declaring it, proclaiming it, articulating it. Not just feeling good. Oh, wow, since I came to Christ, I feel so good. And I have these friends. And if I have a problem, I call Pastor Chin. No. It's just understanding that sovereignty of God, that lordship upon your life, that sin, and now that grace that the Lord has touched your heart. Has taken away your sin. Just imagine. I'm thinking of a quote that I read. I don't think I have it here, but it goes like this. We obey God because we have been forgiven. We don't seek forgiveness by obeying him. You guys get it? Sometimes we try to do so many things to get there. We should understand that we are there and live in a way that honors, praises, proclaims that grace and that love and that is the result of the holiness. It was really interesting for me, as I was studying this, somehow I, met, I, I found this text in Isaiah, I mean in Ezekiel 36, 22 to, to, to 32, where it says, listen, talking about the new covenant, I had never seen this connection before. It says this, uh, Ezekiel 36, 22 to, 22 to 32 says this, therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of what? This is very incredible. I've never seen this in the new pact, the new covenant. It is for the sake of my holy name. which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. So it is that holiness which led God, Christ, through the Holy Spirit to bring that salvation to us. Imagine how privileged we are. You know, even, even that holiness even as we see it, as, as Isaiah saw that place 
of holiness in his own life and in his own time, which kept him from evil. Today, as times of uncertainty are coming upon this world, who would have thought just last week or two weeks ago, a bank here in San Jose crashed? Who would have thought that? And we live in certain times. Here in San Jose, in Colombia, we need to pursue, search, seek the God of holiness, not as an academic God, not as a God that allows us to feel well, to find even a purpose in this life, which is great, of course, but a God in whose holiness we can hide, we can, hide, we can find forgiveness, cleansing of our sins, and, in, and we have. And in view of that, live lives that want to proclaim and desire to proclaim those attributes, that essence of, of, of God. First, first Peter, just to close. First Peter, um, chapter... Uh, Verse 9, he says, First uh, uh, Peter 2 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A what? It doesn't say a knowledgeable nation, an all knowing national theology, a blessed, no, a holy nation. Holy, holy, holy. A people for his own possession that you what? may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, I want to thank you and my family for all you are doing to advance the kingdom of God to Colombia, to the nations, to San Jose, to your aunt, to your brother, to your neighbor. I could cry right now, and I really mean it. Just with sadness, maybe for the person who helps you and you pay the gas in the gas station. There are a lot of people dying out there. And I think we have lost so much that essence of the holiness of God in our churches and us as individuals that we have lost that effectiveness to say, here I am, send me. Because I'm just going to proclaim the excellence, the virtues, those changes that he has caused in me. Not because of me, but because of his holy name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just in eternal, literally, in eternal depth to your holiness. Today we want to proclaim your essence. No programs, no activities, no head knowledge, no leaders, no fancy churches or things that may distract us from 
acknowledging your lordship in our lives. You are sovereign, you are the Lord of hosts, the armies, our sin, Lord. Even me, Heavenly Father, each one of us will stand before your presence. And also, allow us to understand that grace, that forgiveness that comes just, through because, just because of your holiness, not because of us. And knowing that we have been forgiven, obey you, Lord. Allow us to understand that grace, that atonement, that privilege that we will have one day to be in your presence. Not beginning to confess and proclaim your holy name, but continuing to proclaim your good name so that one day so many nations will be there proclaiming your holy name. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.